0: And if you feel like it, leaving us a review to help more people find out about us so they can figure out where they fit in addressing the problem of climate change.
1: Today's guest is Rachel Delacour, co-founder and CEO of Sweep, which provides business intelligence tools to companies to help them understand and model emissions data and build actionable plans to reduce emissions. Rachel has a background in business intelligence, having sold her previous startup in the business intelligence space to Zendesk. And she felt that she could best contribute to the climate problem by leveraging the skills and expertise she and her team already had around data management, modeling, and forecasting, and applying it to the carbon problem. I was interested to learn from her how she views business intelligence around emissions as distinct from carbon accounting, which is a term we all hear often. She had a very clear perspective on this, which made sense to me. We have an extended conversation on her journey how Sweep views the market need, how companies source Scope 3 emissions data today, the potential role of regulation in carbon reporting, and whether or not recommending offsets, or contributions as she calls them, creates incentive misalignments. Sweep recently announced a sizable Series B in funding led by Tomasic, and they've raised over $100 million in aggregate in a little less than two years. So I was eager to hear where she thinks all of this is going.
2: Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Cody.
1: Well, I'm very excited to understand about your background because from what I see, like many of us, myself, Jason, Yin, Tai, you know, the whole MCJ team, really, you come from, I would call it a pure play software entrepreneurial background and, you know, are have moved into the climate space. So maybe start at the top. How did you get involved as an entrepreneur and how did that lead you ultimately to work in climate
2: yeah so you're definitely right until uh, two three years ago something like that i had no clue really about my own carbon emissions about <laughs> my big carbon depth you know because i was flying a lot so just to sum up first i have a financial background okay and i was incredibly frustrated by the business intelligence solutions I was using as a young financial young exec, you know, in this in this space. And I decided to really revamp, revolutionize the business intelligence. So I had no clue about the fact that I wanted to that actually I was trying to start. A startup, you know, because we were in Europe as well, you know, so far less educated than you guys, you know, in the Silicon Valley. But still, you know, I started to try to build the, the tool of my dream, you know. So yeah, indeed, we were coding something that was a, a cloud business intelligence solutions. So it was a time where we could see that Salesforce was really becoming kind of profitable you know, model with this SaaS addressed to B2B, you know, and to businesses. And actually, it was pretty pretty well working. So yeah, okay, we could see that it was already ticking a box. And then there were this um, AWS, you know, cloud infrastructure that were powerful enough actually to support, you know, what a business intelligence tool um, need in the cloud. So we started with my co-founder, and we started, we created BIM Analytics. And it was all about cloud business intelligence for this we we went back to our parents house you know great when you're 28 years old it is a fantastic journey (laughs) but yeah we stayed in France but actually we had a rich. mostly our customers were coming from the US so we were you know into this all those readings of the Silicon Valley etc and we raised funds we did the startup journey in Europe. And we actually, we've been acquired by Zendesk in 2015. So Zendesk, the customer support company, you know, and it was a fantastic journey also post-acquisition because we've learned a lot also from a fantastic company. I always mention that it was an elegant acquisition because Everything was super smooth. There were a real culture fit, and um, I really loved the founders and Mikel, Spain, the, the CEO of Zendesk. And we stayed—I would say something to with you know for four years. You know, working for them, it was great. You know, as an entrepreneur from a, coming from a smaller company, you know, living that hyper-growth post-IPO you know journey of a tech company based in the Silicon Valley wow, you know, for a European company. uh, For me, it was fantastic to learn from them. I've met with uh, great people that I managed to hire back for my second company, (laughs) but I'm not supposed to mention that too loud. I also realized that at some point I had uh, some uh, big carbon depth because sometimes I was flying to San Francisco for two days, you know. But by this time, you know, for me, it was absolutely not a problem. You know, it was just, uh, oh, I will be tired but nothing more. Okay. I had no clue. And uh, this is also when I, when I've been acquired by Zendesk, I was also pregnant of my uh, second child, second baby. And I must acknowledge that, uh, yeah, I really missed that baby that I didn't really meet because I was always traveling and working hard. And at some point, you know, after four years, I said, oh, my God, I just need to reloop with my, just with my kids, you know. And I took some time for me, you know, and I spent time with my two kids. And the oldest one was recently, you know, asking me for uh, climate change and stuff like that. And I felt completely uh, disarmed, you know, that I had no, I just didn't know anything.
1: Wow so the the initial questions about climate were coming from your kid that's incredible
2: Yeah because that's cool they learned about that you know they were they had those conversations with their teachers. And I felt a little bit frustrated, of course. I decided to take also this time off just to ramp up on a personal level, you know, to educate myself on those topics. And I knew that if I had to read something, I had to read an IPCC report. So I picked one, you know. I don't remember. I didn't start it with the first one, but I picked one on the internet. And oh my God, <laughs> it was what we can call the, what can call a cold shower because I definitely realized that we are completely screwed, if I may say like that. So sorry for you to use that word, but I'm French, so I have few vocabulary. And you know what? What was the super, uh, I would say, stressful for me is that I thought that post acquisition I was safe, and I thought that my family was safe because I had money, okay. And I thought that everyone was safe around me, my sister, my my mom, you know. But actually, I completely realized that I had work for nothing because i didn't put my family in a safe place because of what is coming and i must say that i had a very bad night you know and i also realized reading the those ipcc reports that solutions do exist so i realized all this at the same time so it was pretty disturbing and this is when i we were already it's like if we had that haha moment you you know with my co-founders with my current co-founders i had sweet because we're all coming from the same world even if two of the co-founders we are uh, we have more than 40 years old but the two other ones they are in their 30s so they were already much more you know concerned and we talked about all this and we said, okay, we can't reinvent the wheel. We know that solutions do exist with, um, you know, people who are doing great jobs already. How can we do our part? We are privileged people because we have access to capital. We have access to, because we are supposed to be successful entrepreneurs. I don't know what is a successful entrepreneurs, but. In the mind of many people, it's because you have been acquired once. Okay. Anyway. So still, you know, because we had this experience, it meant that we had a network of people, of financial possible partners. You know, we had access to lots of our former customers, you know, that we could interview also. We had access to where well, kind of credibility also just to start to hire talents that we have identified worldwide at Zendesk. Also, I must, I must say. So we were privileged people with time with money also to start, definitely. But still, you know, we couldn't go back to at the university, spend time to ramp up, become a scientific chemist. You know, I'm not that smart, you know. And we knew how to, what was our skill set? Okay, not a sexy one, super boring one, but data platform, distributed infrastructure, scalable infrastructure, knowing the cloud, you know, working on AWS, blah, 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 analytics. Analysis, data visualizations. We knew how to do BI. Okay. So, okay, at least we knew that we had something to do in the digital space because we were coming from this space. And when we started to interview, at first, you know, we had this idea of connecting large accounts because we wanted to focus our energy not on B2C, but on B2B because B2C, we were not coming from this world. Okay. So, you know, let's try to answer the urgency also to start right away uh, uh, massively but b2c we don't know how to do that b2b okay what is happening with b2b so we started to call our former uh, portfolio of company often um, ceos you know and we told them okay how can we connect you with solutions would do exist you know how can you fund them etc and they told us rachel that's cool to buy your sets and that's cool to buy contributions okay depends on the world you're using we are using contributions with uh, co-benefits anyway but they told me that's cool We we want to do so but we want to do lots of things in parallel because there is this urgency and at the end of the day just help us to start and to start our climate journey and the reality is that we absolutely have no clue on where to start what it is to start what it is when you are a big company we targeted those guys because they are really the the ones who are um the big agents of change. Okay. So let's target those guys first. The biggest emitters, hashtag the, maybe the dirty ones, you know, but still (laughs) we have to help them definitely. So, and they told us, look, we are live organisms. We are acquiring, we are changing, we are restructuring ourselves. Yeah. Redefining our business at some point. So how do you help us to map our complexity? And to be accurate, when we are defining our carbon baseline, they were even not mentioning anything about carbon footprint. It was more about, there is this uh, carbon accounting exercise, very static one, but once we have done that, help us to organize the way we are reducing our emissions, help us to do that automated exercise on a regular basis so that we are really able to track how and what we are doing great at the scale of a live organisms, huge live organisms, which is a a big company and in an accurate way with the right layer of carbon methodologies compliant with regulations. We are a big organization, so help us to be incredibly secure. And the more they were speaking, The more we were connecting the dots with my my co-founder saying, oh, my God, they are asking us to do BI for carbon, actually, business intelligence for carbon. This is just what we've done for the last 15 years while we try to reinvent the wheel at some point. Oh, my God, we will have to connect again all the SAP ANA databases, (laughs) etc. Because it's carbon, it's carbon. And it was so crystal clear for us that carbon, it's a data problem. And it's a network problem. And once you have understood that carbon is a data problem, it's all about looking within the information systems of a company transforming all those data points i'm always calling that the the pixel you know because my life today is a a nightmare because i live in the matrix world okay where everything is carbon around me you know you are carbon (laughs) Cody, and i see you as carbon pixels you know carbon data and oh my god i need to encode Cody, as a, as a carbon, you know, a business need to understand every pixel of carbon around, you know, what they are producing from a logistics standpoint and uh, in French. So, but uh, downstream, upstream, you know, and... Everything it's such such a complexity because you have to map it, so you have to collect it. You have to organize the data. You have to collect the data. You have to automate that data collection, and then you have to apply rules to transform that data into carbon, okay, with the right rules. And then you have to organize the way. What what are you doing with that? Then you need to organize the way you will. You need to do business intelligence on top of that. You need data analytics components, you know, to help every. Stakeholders of your company to drill down, drill through, zoom in, zoom out, and map all that complexity in one single system. So. Yeah, to organize, the, to understand where are the hotspots, you know, what you can reduce. And we were back to school, actually. <laughs> Not back to school, but we were back to our first business. And we we thought that we would have um, escaped our first business. <laughs> but actually, it was all about doing that again with the right carbon experts, you know. But we were acknowledging that, of course, we needed to have that layer of carbon expertise, etc. So we just were lucky enough also to be in France. You know, Cody, I will... For my first company, I never, never, I was never, you know, bragging, you know, about the fact that I was a French company, you know, I was hiding it, you know, my accent is is pretty unmasking it. But what I mean is that you never bragging being a French tech company, you know, even 10 years ago, because it's so more, you know. Cool to be a US one. But I must say that in the carbon management software world, I'm absolutely, maybe not bragging, but a little bit. I'm French, kind of arrogant (laughs) at the end of the day, but still, you know, I'm super proud because what you have to understand is that when it comes to carbon, we have a fantastic legacy in France in Europe, but very, very in France, we have a legacy of carbon knowledge. It's crazy. When you are digging, when I was scratching the surface about that, I said, oh, my God, we have such legacy in terms of carbon knowledge here. And it means what? It means that we have public institutions who've been there for several decades, okay, more than 20, 30 years ago, the Adam for example, and they are providing public data related to carbon to help companies for so many years. We have, for example, our engineers at school, they have that common classes about carbon. It's important, Cody, to mention that because it means that I have access to a very local talent pool of very knowledgeable persons when it comes to Carbon finance, when it's come to carbon for corporate, this is crazy, the number of talents we have in France. And I'm not bragging, but a little, but the concept of carbon footprint has been invented in France by Jean-Marc Jancovici. So, voilà. But it's something we have to mention. And it means that the people I'm working with right now, in terms of, you know, from coming from that carbon world, they have 15 to 20 years of experience so I'm, uh, unfortunately, I'm not telling you that my startup is a, uh, we are a young company, but we are not so young ourselves. I think <laughs> we are in our, in our forties, you know, barely in our thirties, mostly in our, uh, we are forties, fifties, but yeah, lots of experts, you know, and we know that the challenge of all this is really to have those two worlds to meet, you know, the, the software tech the code life you know what, what it is to code the product the delivery of all this you know it's and that carbon world you know injecting all that knowledge for our customers so the company is young but yeah working all together and for the tech part you know we, we've been working together for so many years on data analytics complexity so our role is really to mask that complexity and of the data data platform and mass the complexity of the carbon knowledge we are injecting in the in sweep. So yeah, this is the journey. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm super talkative, but this is where we come from and where we are heading you know, with large customers today.
1: Yeah. Rachel, what an amazing story. And I want to acknowledge how much of it resonates with me, in particular, the idea of how do you take the skill set that you already have and apply it to the climate problem. So the fact that you were able to Recognize pretty quickly where your own background could be, you know, kind of turned slightly sideways to plug in and solve a key pain point. I think is to me the most powerful unlock any of us can do when trying to figure out how we can make a difference, right? Because you, you acknowledged it's like I'm not gonna go back to school and get a, you know, PhD in climatology or
2: I have no time. I have no time, yeah, for that. There is such an urgency that when I will get my diploma um... <laughs> the yeah, for we, sure.
1: We'll, we'll, yeah. The, the, the problem will already be, you know, too big for any of us. And so but applying what you already know how to do, which is business intelligence and data management and, you know, building software for large corporations, you know, can make a big difference. And, you know, my big takeaway from your story and from so many like you that I hear is for anyone listening to this who's still trying to figure out how to leverage their own sort of best impact in the climate, start with what you're already good at and think about ways to apply that as opposed to thinking you need to make some huge leap.
2: Definitely. And it's also what's important also is to understand that okay you started with what you have, but of course it's not enough. I'm a strong believer that technology digital, you know, can really and distributed infrastructure, multi-tenant infrastructure to be you know, more complex, but it's a way to connect and organize coordinate that collective climate action if you are not using technology it's impossible to scratch the surface of that vertiginous problem which is to organize that collective climate action so knowing the you know the fact that we are coming also for 15 years of you know this world of distributed cloud infrastructure multi-tenancy etc it really allow us also to organize that distributed, decentralized. Dialogue, carbon dialogue that all companies, at different level of maturities, need to have all together. So we count first on the big guys to organize this, you know, to organize this dialogue at the the scale of their value chain, and you know the that complex distributed infrastructure to connect all those dots. And it's super important. But what I mean is that you have to start with what you know, but you have to be incredibly open to onboard different skills because you can't ramp up yourself, you know, quickly enough. So it was also difficult for us to adapt to people coming from 15 years of NGO. No, I'm someone who's been acquired in a techie world, incredibly privileged world, incredibly privileged world. I'm working now with people who've spent their life with other people who were a victim of climate injustice. Okay. But I need those two worlds to come together. So from a, an operational day-to-day standpoint, of course, there is some you have to adapt. Everyone has to understand that there is different time of development for a product, but there is also a time to onboard those discussions. You know, so we are a member of the World Bank's Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition, you know, so we really try to, to scale also our network of a different mindsets while joining us. You know that we are also part of, just to be sure that we are addressing the best way, the carbon, di- that vertiginous, multidimensional problem that we have. And for example, Cody, <laughs> let me talk to you about the third world that we are <laughs> welcoming right now in this company. So you have the NGO slash carbon world, you have the tech world. And we, since the beginning of this week, we have uh, welcomed the pure political world, you know, at SWEEP, because we are super proud to have a new colleague, Julien de Normandie, and that person was the former minister of agriculture and food in France under the first presidency of uh, President Macron. Okay. So Julien is a 42 uh, years old guy, four kids, and coming from that, he understands very complex, multidimensional intricacies systems, you know. So for me, it's an important for my team. And we are convinced that it's an incredible force to add to that skills that we have already set up around the table to build sweep the best way to help companies understand that vertiginous, complex and multidimensional problem that we can solve. So yeah, now we have to deal with someone also coming from, you know, just before sweep. So today he's he's joining a company of we are 80 people at sweep. Okay. We will be around 100 by the end of this year. But still, this is the size of the company right now when I'm talking to you, Cody. And that person was running a minister of 30,000 people just before joining us, you know. So this is crazy when you think about it. And I feel incredibly privileged to have that kind of very smart mind who is betting, you know, is a next move on a climate tech like us, like ours. I'm super proud also of this, and I am also super confident on how we will be able to deliver on our mission because of that open attitude we have. Hopefully, it will work, you know, to really onboard very different profiles because the problem is not a tech problem. The problem is not only a carbon methodology problem. It's not, you know, it's not only a public sector problem. You know what I mean?
1: you know, I I think of it as, you know, climate change is a systems problem and solving systems problems requires interdisciplinary points of view and requires breaking down silos and leveraging the best of expertise that everyone has. And the big difference, at least you've lived this, but the big difference between building a pure play tech business and a climate tech business is the fact that so much of climate tech touches real world, right? It's not just, optimizing bits, right? It's optimizing bits in order to move atoms or in order to change how things are created or transported or, or manufactured. And that's, that's a very real world interaction that is more tangible to me than just pure play software.
2: Yeah, incredibly hard, but technology can definitely help. So technology is one of the yeah key factors. It is like the oil, you know, the oil to coordinate that discussion, that that dialogue. And data is the real language we have to we have to speak. Actually,
1: Yeah, So I'm really interested. You know, you defined your background as being you know heavy in business intelligence. When I think of the box I put Sweep into in my mind, is that of carbon accounting. And so I'm curious how you think about business intelligence for climate and carbon slightly differently than just what I would call carbon accounting. Like what's the what's the kind of additionality factor that you think Sweep brings to the table in that regard?
2: Yeah. So I will explain you how I articulate that. When you are talking about carbon accounting, Cody It's already existing for a while, you know, for decades. There is plenty of software who already did that. But carbon accounting, it's incredibly static, okay? Carbon accounting, for me, it's a punctual exercise. It's like when you are doing your accounting, you know, you are asking your accountant to put figures in the right format, and the accountant is done, okay? Then you have your analytics, colleagues, you know, or, you know, uh, your 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 controllers or, who are analyzing those data, who are playing with those data, and who are building dashboards for the CEO to make better decisions on top of those data. And those data, so you have the accountant who is done when he has collected the data and put that in uh, some uh, boxes, okay? If I, you know, take it very simply, very simply. And carbon management... It's absolutely, for me, different from carbon accounting. Carbon management is really about using a platform that is dynamic. Dynamic because the exercise of uh, collecting the data is done on a regular basis. And it is not the most important part. I would say it has to be done the right way. But the most important part starts when you are able to analyze, okay, from one month to another, from a year to another, what is happening? in my reduction pass, okay? I committed X years ago about the fact that I will be SBTI, you know, using SBTI, be compliant with, uh, as a CEO, you know, they, they were mentioning in the newspaper that they would do this, 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 this. They would commit to be aligned on Paris Agreement, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now it's time to track progress. How do you track progress if you don't have the right platform to understand the numbers, to scale the numbers, the way your company is scaling as well, you know. What it is to think about carbon intensity, what it is to think about absolute figures, value, you know, what it is to understand per and when you are analysing it per geography, department or either per product maybe, you need that the data platform, you need the right data platform and the right backbone, okay? And this is where you shouldn't care about that. This is my role <laughs> to bring you that analytics capabilities, you know, to play with your data so that you are really able to organize your reduction scheme. You are able to allocate reductions to some departments. You are able to not very completely blindly ask everyone in your company to reduce their emission by their carbon emission by 20, 30%. You can't ask that to everyone because some, some department will tell you, you know what? I can't because uh, I already, this is not the kind of department you can ask for. But maybe the there is some department where you can ask for 50% of a decrease, okay, of reduction. So we are giving you the platform, the data visualization and the, analy- the, the data visualization platform, tooling, calculation capabilities to organize that, like if you were using Tableau software to name a few or uh, business objects or else, for your carbon initiatives. Okay? So for your carbon reduction initiative. So it's not for me, carbon accounting it's uh, for me it's super restrictive. It's already good to do so, but this is the first step on the dance floor, you know, dance this is a, you have the the most important is to organize the reduction. And it's about having a data platform with collecting the data outside of your borders, outside of your own information system. And I've seen large companies in Europe, large companies we are the big emitters, they are super, super educated about carbon. You know, you can't uh, fool them with a quick and dirty exercise or monetary factor emission exercise. They, they, are, they are smiling at you, you know, if you are doing so. When they see SWEEP, you know, they, they like the, the capacity we have to go really at a granular level, very precisely. But still, I have seen some large companies being incredibly good at scope one, scope two internally. They were doing a fantastic job. And why we were meeting them, you know, because when you see that, you say, oh, my God, you're so good. You know, it's, it's, what you are doing is already some magic. You know, your, your team that internally are great. They've built some uh, very, very cool internal, uh, internal tool. And actually, you understand that when it comes to ScopeStream, they have no clue how to go outside of their uh, information system borders, boundaries, you know.
1: Just in the spirit of. Helping people transition to climate, maybe just I'll take a minute to describe scope one, scope two, scope three, just in case people, you know, don't know that. Right. Scope one being your owned and operated emissions, scope two being the energy you use to power that and scope three being the emissions of your suppliers. Is that accurate?
2: Is it accurate. And the fact that everyone realized now that your scope three, your I mean, your extended responsibility as a company, that this scope three is actually representing for some of them. 80 to 90 percent of the world emissions of a company means that you absolutely need to click you know about your responsibility and you have to show the numbers about your responsibility to better reduce it but we are talking about going outside of the boundaries of your own information system. So you need to be able to interconnect and to collect the data and do the same exercise with your supply chain, with your value chain. So this is where SWEEP is. This is where we have the fantastic sweet spot and a differentiator because with this model of scalable, distributed, multi-tenant infrastructure, we are able to help, you know, companies to do that exercise of reduction at the scale of a value chain, you know, and this is something that is super cool, just cool, (laughs) for large companies.
1: We're going to take a short break right now so our partner, Yin can share more about the MCJ membership option.
3: Hey, folks, Yin here, a partner at MCJ Collective. Want to take a quick minute to tell you about our MCJ membership community, which was born out of a collective thirst for peer-to-peer learning and doing that goes beyond just listening to the podcast. We started in 2019 and have since then grown to 2,000 members globally. Each week, we're inspired by people who join with differing backgrounds and perspectives. And while those perspectives are different, what we all share in common is a deep curiosity to learn and bias to action around ways to accelerate solutions to climate change. Some awesome initiatives have come out of the community. A number of founding teams have met, nonprofits have been established, a bunch of hiring has been done, many early-stage investments have been made, as well as ongoing events and programming like monthly women in climate meetups, Idea Jam sessions for early-stage founders, climate book club, art workshops, and more. So whether you've been in climate for a while or just embarking on your journey, having a community to support you is important. If you want to learn more, head over to mcjcollective.com and click on the Members tab at the top. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show.
1: All right, back to the show. So what I'm hearing you say, you know, the the biggest difference in accounting versus business intelligence around carbon.
2: Versus management, yes. Management of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, accounting is really basically like thinking about it from a pure financial accounting perspective. It's looking at your actuals And with the business intelligence, you know, business intelligence side of things, you know, it's really your ability to forecast and model and create a plan.
2: Exactly. It's all about, of course, you can perform simulations of your reductions plans. You know, you can. It's really about navigating that complexity in one single place to understand, you know, what's happening, what's happening. It's really to, to help the CEOs to make decisions. Those CEOs, they are paid. The responsibility they have is to to help their companies live forever, okay? They have this responsibility to make companies forever. So SWEEP will help businesses track and act on their carbon so they can become forever companies, period.
1: And obviously, your your secret sauce is your ability to manipulate and manage data very fluidly. Access to accurate data is still hard, right? So how are you seeing companies get better at actually accessing emissions data, particularly what I hear is that, you know, accessing scope one and scope two data, most companies are, for the most part, have their arms around that at this this point, but it's still that supplier data that's really, really challenging. So what are you seeing in terms of some of the latest ways that companies are accessing accurate data? Because I'm guessing, you know, your system is only as good at forecasting as the quality of data that's going into it.
2: Of course, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, when you are running a BI project, or it's always that rule, garbage in, garbage out. So when the addressing scope three for, you know, so, so to, to, to try to get the, the, the accurate data of the suppliers, you know, this is also where it's our responsibility as a software vendor to mask that complexity. You can mask that complexity first by being able to invite those suppliers in the sweep platform if the supplier doesn't want to be invited in the sweep platform to perform also his own information system you know analysis etc he can populate an online survey you know and customized by the large accounts and for this you know our responsibility is to make it as super well designed as possible super fast sexy as possible you have to The fact that we are reinventing the relationship between a large accounts and the long tail of the small accounts they are working with, we are reinventing that relationship because it's not about the large accounts being super boring, annoying, and time time consumer, you know, sucking time, you know, on the shoulder of their suppliers with financial data, etc. It's how do you reinvent that relationship because through carbon, for good, to fight climate change, you know, so it's our responsibility to work on the design, on the tricks, on the technological tricks to allow that dialogue, you know, to to allow data to to be interconnected. Okay, so some suppliers they want to do that exercise even for themselves, themselves and for their own suppliers. Okay, so which is cool because this is when you are really starting to map a whole value chain. So. That's cool. I will sleep very well if I can tell you that, in a, you know, in the future about, oh, yeah, we've mapped that whole industry. Cool. So that would be great. But we have to reinvent that, interconnect them. And when there is question marks, you know, for some companies, you know, that are really far, that doesn't want to play the game with the large companies.
1: Or maybe they're just so small that they don't have the capabilities or capacity or, you know, they they don't know. Right.
2: If the technology that we are giving them, while it's already doing a very good job to help them, you know, even if they are not data, when they are quite data agnostic, but, you know, data, sorry, they are not uh, data savvy, I would say that, yeah, we are helping companies also to use benchmarks, CDP benchmarks also to assess, you know, the emissions of the supplier. So it's a balance, but at least this information resides also in the consolidated view. So you understand you know, what part of your scope three is coming from CDP estimates, benchmarks versus reality. And then, then Cody, of course it, and it's the same way for when you are doing financial, that financial exercise to consolidate data coming from your industry or else garbage in, garbage out. So same for climate. But the key thing is really to make that platform auditable, Cody, if the data is granular enough to allow precisions. But if the platform is allowing auditors to make their job, you know, if a company can open the books super easily at a granular level and doing so also with the suppliers and what they have, you know, collected, it's the key because even if the, like financial books, why do you have uh, financial auditors? It's just to be sure that there is not too much garbage in, you know? So the auditing space with thanks to the regulators as well is organizing that auditors, you know, are organizing themselves on the extra financial part. It's my role as a software vendor. I'm not saying that I have the truth, you know, on how it should be absolutely done, etc. I'm just saying that I need to give the capabilities for an auditor to audit the books on extra financial coming from my software, you know, on a safe way. And it's the safe, the safest way for the, the company To start their climate journey. They can do bad things. They can do mistakes. Okay. That's fine. I opened the book. I made some mistakes. Come on, guys. We are all starting. Okay. But at least I have the granular data. And maybe it's a way. Okay. I didn't account this in the right, in the right box. Okay. Let me change it. But at least I have the data. I have the history of the data. And if the report, the standards, you auditors or you regulators, you are asking me who are changing because it's still the far west in terms of standards. When you are asking me to, to as a company, you know, to change those uh, standards every two years or we still don't know what the SEC will, will ask you, etc. At the end of the day, if you have the raw material, if you have the raw data, it's only lipstick that you are putting from a reporting standpoint. The reporting part is not the it's important. We need to give the right frameworks per countries, per industry, etc. But for me, this is absolutely not where is the complexity. The complexity is about being sure that we are having the right raw material, the right raw and granular data, so that if the standards are changing, if the company is restructuring itself or else, the data is following and the data can be managed and audited.
1: How far away do you think we are from regulation that requires carbon reporting in a quarterly fashion alongside earnings reporting and that is is essentially a regulated report that companies need to both provide and and have auditable proof you know so some form of you know sarbanes oxley like standards around carbon
2: Yeah, I think in Europe, we are definitely uh, closer to that date compared to the U.S., definitely. Just an example about that. And I actually, I think that that kind of technologies that we are building and other carbon management platforms, definitely, I'm not the only one, but I really think that we are showing also those regulators that they can, you know, ask companies now to report precisely on their data. And the more, you know, I see my company, my team, myself, in a virtuous circle where I am showing the regulators that the tools exist to ask company to be much more demanding towards companies to report being accurate on a regular basis. And now guys, track your progress. Oh, no, 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 I can't. Yes, you can. There is carbon management platform for that. So now do the job. You know, so I see myself as a and hopefully, as a, an accelerator also, as a proof of acceleration for regulators to regulate faster. And, you know, Cody, I've been contacted by European uh, Parliament uh, member, member of Parliament. I've been contacted already. And while my company is, uh, you know, we are in a, it's a new market, you know. But I've been contacted with a European uh, member of Parliament, several ones, to be honest. And they, they told me we are uh, confronted with lobby you know, in certain industries, and they are telling us that we can't regulate on scope three because they won't be able, absolutely never able to understand what's happening, to organize that multidimensional data collection. And and I told them this is not true anymore because many tech companies are injecting digital technologies to participate and to solve that problem, to connect, you know, that multidimensional uh, problem. So... It's not true anymore. And I have uh, dialogues, you know, with our politics as well, you know, just to be sure that they understand that now there is a new part of the ecosystem that is allowing that. So they are less at risk regulating. And hopefully I would love to be, I'm not the only one, of course, but if we can participate positively to regulations, because we are showing that technology is helping, you know, Cody for the fact that we are working with large companies in our software today, after only uh, plus two years old of company creation, and after only plus one year of public availability, we are already mapping 500 million tons of CO2. This is huge. We are working with bigger emitters, but still, we are already mapping that. It means that, and the more customers we are, the more that baseline, you know, that amount of tons of CO2 is, is growing. So it means that we are already able to, what's happening in terms of emission reductions, you know. And yeah, this is... Um, a joint effort that we have to do with our customers also to to tell them, show your progress. And then the, if you want to be a forever company, this is what you have to do, actually.
1: And I would assume to some extent, the companies that are already working with you, obviously are on the more progressive end of wanting to track this and, and report on it and make progress on it. But should regulation happen, they also already have a leg up on the laggards and the resistors and the companies that are lobbying against it because they're proactively taking the right steps to already start, you know, understanding it and optimizing on it.
2: Yeah. And of course, there is that regulation threat, but there is also a big, big another other threat is the reputational threat. And that reputational threat means that those companies, why they are already doing the job of, you know, becoming a forever company, being on track of their carbon journey, etc. It's because there is this reputational threat and they want to show the numbers to their customers and to their employees. So those companies, those CEOs are for me, the yeah, they are really <laughs> paid for something. They are just doing their job. You know, <laughs> and this is important. So, yeah, reputational risk, regulation risk. So, of course, they have to start right now. The sooner, the better. When they will have to show the data to the to the auditors, etc. If the, the sooner they start, the better. For all what we just mentioned, reputational regulation risk, of course.
1: And I heard on the product side of Sweep, I heard you say. Obviously, companies are setting big multi-decade level pledges for emissions reductions right now, and then Sweep is helping you then model down to what percentages of reductions each individual business unit or division may need to start setting targets against. I'm really interested in understanding the gap between a 30-year pledge and quarterly level progress at the division level in a company, because that is that is a huge gap to overcome. You know, Most employees at a company aren't going to be working there 30 years from now. So it's one thing to set a, a big target in the future. It's another to operationalize quarterly goals and KPIs inside a division and get everyday workers and middle management to start taking the steps necessary to hit reductions in real time. How are you seeing that play out right now?
2: There is the long-term vision, definitely, with the reduction, but there is also the, the short-term operational reality that is that, you know, that is very, very, very complex to move a big boat, you know, pack boat in French, <laughs> a big boat, you know, it's super difficult. So the first, you know, even the Organizing the company, you know, it's already, it's not an easy task. At SWIP, you know, we are, for example, helping them just mirroring a hierarchy that you have in an ERP, okay, already in your information system, just to help you to organize that. But organizing, collecting the data, or start with just a perimeter to start, okay, we are easing that task, definitely, and it has to be easy. But if you are serious about the problem... This is something that you want to name. This is something that is part of your, it's a tech strategy within your climate strategy, you know, that you have in the boardroom, So that long-term vision, but also the reality that the time that that it takes, you know, to organize the whole company, you know, to, to print the, a new DNA of uh, reducing their emission and just understand what it is understand at the scale of a large company at the scale of a value chain this is of course you have to start now and you have to already understand if you are able on a quarterly basis for example to reduce your emissions you as a, every victory on a department when you are reducing you want to communicate internally it's great it's great uh, it's a great way to start actually so of course they want to already look at it on a short-term basis, and where we are also masking that complexity so that that quarterly exercise or even that monthly exercise is not a pain, (laughs) it's because we we are working with our customer to really automate that data collection and that the incremental changes are not a pain to deal with, okay? So this is where the technology is helping,
1: definitely. I mean, the way I see it is, you know, at the end of the day, businesses are organizations with incentive structures and, you know, understanding your incentives around P&L or around growth or around cost reduction. Those are things that business managers are used to dealing with all the time and they their, bon- their bonuses are tied to those things. But emissions are so new to all of them, like they've never had to deal with it before.
2: When you are running that monthly financial exercise, why won't you be able to organize You know, that monthly extra financial task. Today, it's still difficult because you don't have the the whole team for that. You don't have the... So so far, they didn't have the tools for that. But now, there is the tooling that is coming. There is the the data, the extra financial data team that is also... You don't need that army, you know, because technology is trying to help for that. But of course, you will need your, your extra financial data on a monthly basis. And companies have to understand that. So when they don't want to invest a lot in those platforms or else saying oh no we will still run that with the Excel sheet okay I don't think that you have understood the, the difficulty of the exercise but it's a component of doing you know for example with the very large emitters in our portfolio of customers we are automating the carbon footprint exercise on a monthly basis on more than five hundred worldwide sites um, seats uh, plants you know worldwide with very heavy emissions on 70, and I'm talking about 70 countries, okay? This is something that is becoming true now, you know, that became true for them. And they can add their scope stream now, you know, onboarding and their supply chain, upstream, downstream as well. So the extra financial, the fact that they are able to show the numbers on a monthly basis for that part of their extra financial data, it's huge.
1: And how are you seeing... Sustainability teams start to engage here. I mean, obviously, one sustainability team can't push all this down into an organization of 200,000 people. Are you seeing sustainability teams be more the organization that might contract with a service like yours and run an implementation program across the org and be sort of almost consultants internally? I'm curious how that's evolving in very large corporations today.
2: Yes. So we've seen that when we are prospecting those those teams. They don't really believe in the fact that everyone can use Sweep. And when we are telling them, hey, guys, you definitely need a tool to engage your different stakeholders internally, externally. But you need to engage them because the closer you are to the emission, the best opportunity you have to reduce it. Okay. It's not when you are in your, in your golden tower, you know. You know, I don't know in New York or else that you have the best idea for the plants that you have in Brazil. okay. So when we are telling them, we've built that platform to engage you know all the stakeholders to help you at first no, 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 we need your product, we need that kind of software, but no, no, no we will deal with that ourselves. And when they realize the task actually to collect the data and when they start to invite another department collecting the data, you know doing the job at the department level, when they see the, the fact that oh wow yes indeed it's a relief that this department is dealing with that themselves and they can consolidate all that data in SWIP. let's invite another department and then very quickly they tell us okay now actually let's let's build it within Swift so that i can really engage with everyone because if it's doable and the, the less information you are asking the more people engage the less information you are also asking or the less information you are able to collect Manually or automatically, you know, and this is where you are, you are on the path to be uh, precise, to really understand your scope three with no, of course, there will still be estimates, you know, in but it's so, such better to organize, you know, uh, that whole discussions with your whole company, your whole stakeholders, because this is the only way to organize that carbon dialogue, to coordinate that collective climate action without that pervasive engaged action, you know, I would fool myself if I thought the guy in the in the Golden Tower in New York or in Paris can solve the whole problem of the of the whole company just by himself.
1: It's a good lesson for I think any startup trying to do business development with a big corporation, right? You know, it sounds like the sustainability team is your ally, but at the end of the day you need to find a business unit that's gonna implement you from a pilot perspective or whatnot. And then, you know, Keep the conversation going with the sustainability team so they can help evangelize you across the org and ultimately maybe sign a, a global contract. But you got to get a local implementation done first.
2: We have also lots of uh, financial directors who have been appointed to uh, deal with uh, extra financial data because they are already organizing the whole system to perform monthly financial analysis so now they are the ones okay you have access to the systems you have access to the resource now let's do what you are doing on a monthly basis with extra financial data so we have more and more also financial directors who are asking us for help you know on top of our you know to use our platform and yeah we are ceos definitely are the ones who are the, the sponsors and it's super important as well but yeah and I can definitely tell you that at least in Europe, but I guess maybe also in the US, definitely we have customers in the US. So we are also understanding many things, but Europe is very, very, very sharp, I would say, because of the regulation as well. We are seeing so many companies who are now incentivizing part of the commissioning of Candia, who are organizing the, the variable part of the, of the salary of their high executive linked to uh, sustainability, KPIs, you know, slash achievements. And I didn't, uh, yeah, this is great. This is great. So this is also why the financial directors are now more and more involved in all this. Super interesting to see how it's moving, hopefully in a good way.
1: I want to change topics a little bit and ask about the role of offsets or credits as it relates to your platform. And the reason I ask is going back to our carbon accounting versus business development distinction. I've observed that a lot of carbon accounting businesses help you understand your footprint and then their business model is more being an offset broker, which to me, my general reaction is that's a little bit of a perverse incentive. It's sort of like, you know, the, the first thing that that anyone should be trying to do is reduce their emissions. And so if the accounting software's business model is selling credits to you, Maybe it's not helping you find out how to reduce your emissions directly. That's a general statement, but I'm curious how you think about that.
2: Yeah. So we, we've seen that. And indeed, you're right. And our first employee, at first, there were those four co-founders. And then there were, we hired Renaud Betin, who is a great carbon expert in France. And we talked about that, you know, with Renault, And he was the first to tell us, oh, my God, no, please insist on the reduction part. You can't link just an accounting part and that. Contribution slash offset part. So this is where we understood that, of course, we have to use our skills for the reduction part. You're definitely right. It's not about just offsetting. Still, you know, even with Renault, we, we, our reflections, you know, evolved as well. And at first, you know, we, we really wanted to invite our customers to proceed step by step. You collect, you measure, you reduce, and then you Kate, of course, to your uh, internal extra, but and then you can contribute to projects who are really good for climate change, you know. But we really wanted to insist on that path, you know, step by step. Month after month, quarter after quarter, what you are just saying is that we have no time. So a company must do everything in parallel. They must reduce, but also in parallel, contribute, contribute, contribute now, now, now. But the most important thing is that they must reduce in parallel, contribute, you know, everything has to be done at the same time now. Okay. So you will never hear me telling you that contribution is not good. I'm not a, an ayatollah of we shouldn't do that and we are in a fucking urgency, you know? So so we have to trigger all what we can. But a company definitely need to understand that part of the of the urgency solutions is really to reduce. But they have also to invest money in projects that are good for climate in general, but that also projects were are good for climate justice. So this is also why we are offering that carbon project marketplace where our customers can really um, do the whole journey at the, at the same time. And having people who are coming from uh, NGOs at SWIP, it means that we've been very, very picky and very critical about the project we were onboarding, because it was important for us that there were lots of co-benefits, social co-benefits. I didn't want to go all in because we are tech-savvy people, techie guy, geeky data guy. I love innovations, but I couldn't go all in with just sequestration. Projects, Okay, new sequestration DAX project. I love that. I love Climeworks. I know their team, etc. But you definitely need to continue to invest in cook stoves in Mali, in Kenya. You need to invest in to propose projects which are good to avoid deforestation, etc, 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 which can seem not really Innovative, not really cool, not really. I don't care. We have to do all this at the same time. So, but climate justice is important. And you know, Cody, I've heard so many things about very new, super innovative projects, and that's cool to test. We definitely need pioneers who are testing things, and they need cash definitely to test things. But I've been also pretty upset to hear some stories about. Uh, Data centers were using energies, you know, uh, coming from um, oil field, you know. So taking, I've tried to simplify it, but, you know, reusing that emissions, you know, to fuel data centers. And when you scratch a little bit the surface to understand that those data centers are actually used to mine cryptos, bitcoins, but, uh, you know, it's 50% of African people, they don't have access to electricity. For me, it's completely insane to think that we are investing so much money in that kind of sequestration, you know, come on, climate justice, guys. you know, and I'm telling you that I'm super, I'm super privileged. I'm living in France. I'm living in the developed countries. I am no one to tell that, you know, and plus I raised $100 million in 12 months for my company. But I definitely, this is why also, my battle is to help companies to reduce their emissions, definitely. But my battle is also to to show, to, if I am successful, it means that I am a cash machine first. <laughs> I need to be a cash machine to show that I have impact. And if I am a cash machine, it means that also I am giving visibility to all those projects which are good for planet with that co-benefice also attached. And I am super picky also on the kind of projects we are Giving visibility to. If I am successful, I will give as much visibility as possible to. But I don't. And Cody, I know that you love innovations, etc. And that's great. And thank you to give so much visibility to all the new pioneers who are doing stuff. But please think about the what we already have as well, and just about climate justice. You know the and that money I've raised. Sometimes I think, oh my god, so much money. But I'm happy to see that this money is not going to NFTs. Okay, no offense, <laughs> but come on, come on. So now, now my role is to give visibility to those projects, being sure that they are they are making money out of that and being sure that my KPI is about uh, reducing emissions are on track.
1: So I'm hearing you say it's a, a matter of obviously helping companies hit reductions, but also knowing that they're not going to be able to reduce everything right away. You do have a business that exposes access to different credits or contributions or, or however you want to define them. And, you know, your team sort of takes pride in trying to expose companies to reductions that have large social benefits to them, in addition to being potentially tech forward or innovative is what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah, there is sequestration, you know, new, new project. And this is great. It has to be done, definitely. But we also need to give visibility to, you know, this project of cook stoves. It's also a way for a mum to not burn hoods, you know, inside house. And the co cool benefits you have from that is that everyone is breathing better, but also, so it's good from a carbon perspective, everyone is breathing better, so, so it's better for their health. And also the kid who is coming back from school, if he goes to school, but the kids back to school can do their homework inside the house and not outside the house because they can't breathe, okay? So this is just to, we have to try to preserve what remains of climate stability, but we have also to to give back also to those guys who are so forgotten also.
1: Yeah, to me, I mean, climate justice is such a rich topic to dive into. And I often feel like, honestly, it gets a little bit used, maybe not the right way in a lot of developed countries because it loses sight of the global view of climate injustice and, you know, how, yes, there are people in very wealthy countries that are facing, you know, aspects of climate injustice. But if you look at the global map and you look at, you look at parts of Africa, you look at parts of Southeast Asia, you look at India and you see
2: look at the size of the impact. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Pakistan.
1: And, and these are, you know, for the most part, countries that have very small footprints relative to the amount of impact that they're that they're receiving. So you're seeing corporate interest in wanting to support projects that do help try to balance out those injustices?
2: Yeah, and you know what? The fact that SWEEP is engaging lots of stakeholders internally, but also externally, but when it comes to that reflection, that strategy about, okay guys, now internally, So when the CEO and or the CSR team is asking, okay, now what do we want to contribute to in terms of projects? The fact that they have already started to engage all those plenty of departments, colleagues, employees, they can pick also the projects they want to contribute to. So what we are saying is that let's talk about an international company. They have different countries many subsidiaries, every subsidiary is able to contribute. And what's interesting is that those subsidiaries, sometimes they want to contribute locally. Okay. So with a very diverse catalog of projects, they can all, the fact that they've been engaged in the reduction pass, they also want to be engaged in the choosing the contribution pass. Okay. And it's super cool for them to see that they are able to be involved in that kind of choice discussions locally. And it's not just only the Parisian team who is uh, picking, you know, the contribution project for the Spanish team, I would say, for example. So it's super cool. So our role is to curate the best projects as possible, being sure there is as much co-benefits as possible, also diversify our offer and also being sure that we are on as many uh, location as possible because our customers love to onboard, you know, that contribution discussions, you know, and they love to have that discussion with all their employees. And it's super cool for them to understand that, you know, a French team who is able to contribute to a French project, you know, some of them say, oh, but Africa, India, it's so far from us. We don't really know if, if it will, you know, what's happening over there. Okay, guys, it's important to do so, even uh, far away. But if you really want to contribute to a project which is good for the climate, uh, step stab- b- remaining stability in France, let's do so. But at least they are acting now.
1: Super helpful. Thanks for helping me see you know, your perspective on on how you blend credits into the reduction side of things. And interesting to think of it as an employee activation tool in terms of getting people excited to Find different projects that the company might be contributing to. It gives gives people to, something to talk about with friends and family. I think as well around you know. Hey, here at are the, the
2: coffee machine. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. If you if you start to bring those not that weather questions, but that climate justice question, you know, and discussion at the coffee machine, that that's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> Rachel, we can keep going. I have a billion more questions I could ask you. You know, you all just raised significant amounts of funding. You you've raised, I think, over a hundred million dollars in you know a little over a year. You've got KOTU, who led your most recent series B. What's next? What are the big priorities? Where do you need help? And for anyone who's listening who's motivated by what you're building, either as a customer or as a potential employee, like what are the areas that are highest priority for you right now?
2: Priority is definitely to develop the business, to be sure that we are growing and to be sure that we are more and more and more connecting all those dots in our industries, you know, through a world value chain. For me, this is a Hopefully, uh, prophecy auto réalisatrice. You know, auto. You know, prophecy with auto. <laughs> I don't know how to say that in English. Sorry. Exactly.
1: Self-fulfilling prophecy.
2: Oui, oui, Voilà. C'est ça. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, So no, we are working for that, and we are uh, the fact that we are working with uh, international companies who are themselves working. We are working with HP, for example, in the US. But the fact that those companies are themselves. They want to work with their long tail of, you know, value chain and other uh, little, comp- smaller companies they're working with. It means that we are working with customers in many, many, many countries at a worldwide scale. Now it's how do we, how do we organize that? You know, we have already people in the U.S. We have many customers in the, in the U.S., but yeah, you know, so far we didn't announce anything in the U.S., but yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> So now it's a uh, yeah matter of developing a, an LC company, profitable company. You know we are a B corp also, and it's super important for me to show that we are growing a B corp, and uh, I would love to be a climate tech slash B corp the first to IPO a company, just to show pff, optimism. You know that you can really build a great business embracing the current codes that we because we all need a a roof on top of our heads and you need money for that so we have to embrace the current codes of making money but you know while helping so if i can also embrace the code of you know ipo making it something gross and ipo is not just about ipo for ipo it's just because there is so many ways to fund yourself right now you know when we we've been able you know in less than 12 months to raise 100 million dollars so you could tell me but what do you want to have that pain you know of ipo a company indeed you're right but you are broadcasting your message when you are doing an ipo it's so huge you know it's so you can hear that from everywhere you know in the world so and my message is not of course it would be for my customer to help them but my message is for other entrepreneurs when you are starting to to speak to other entrepreneurs okay you can have a roof on, on top of your head making money but also ipo a company making it you know this is something super important for new careers. New expectation also in your life that you can really uh, make the most of both world and tend to go in the new world. <laughs> tend to yeah. So hopefully we will um, we will show we will broadcast all those messages for the the next generation of uh, that current generation of entrepreneurs first, but the new generation of all those entrepreneurs who who think that you can't live in a climate related company. Of course you can. Of course.
1: Rachel, thank you so much for your time today, and I'm rooting for that too. Hopefully we'll see you. Ringing that bell on the IPO stage, you know, in the future. We,
2: Cody, (laughs) we.
1: There we go. All right. I appreciate
2: it. Merci, Cody.
0: Thanks again for joining us on the My Climate Journey podcast.
1: At MCJ Collective, we're all about powering collective innovation for climate solutions by breaking down silos and unleashing problem-solving capacity. To do this, we focus on three main pillars. Content, like this podcast and our weekly newsletter, Capital, to fund companies that are working to address climate change, and our member community, to bring people together, as Yen described earlier.
0: If you'd like to learn more about MCJ Collective, visit us at www.mcjcollective.com. And if you have guest suggestions, feel free to let us know on Twitter at
1: MCJPod. Thanks, and see you next episode.